I want you to turn with me to a couple openings today. Uh, first of all, Isaiah 6 and Luke chapter 5. And we've been uh, talking to you, give you a little bit of chance to get there. We have found out that without any confusion, that it's God's will for us to walk by faith and not by sight. Four times in Scripture, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. That means everything they do in life is supposed to be done by faith with a respect to what God said in His Word versus your senses and your intelligence and your feelings and what the experts say. And we now know that uh, the practical part of walking by faith, it involves you know, four very specific function, functions from Scripture. First of all, we have to hear what God said. Everybody say, be here. Be here. And then we have to actually believe the things that He said. You'd be amazed how many people hear the good promises of God and the wonderful life that's offered in Christ, and it goes literally in one ear and out the other, but you have to believe. And we found out that believing is not mystical, it's not magical. It's simply a decision on your part to believe the things that God has said. Say, I choose to believe. And then we are supposed to say or speak or confess or let our mouth line up with the things we say we believe. Now, this is from cover to cover in Scripture. It's nothing new. But you and I have to agree with what God said. When you commit a sin, uh, confess that sin means to say the same thing God says about that. Well, it works the same way with promises or anything else in His Word. If you're going to hear something and believe it, you also have to make sure that your mouth is, is speaking in the same direction as the Word of God. But then last but not least, you have to actually do the things that you say, that you believe, that you have heard. Say it with me. I have to do what I say, what I believed, what I heard. In the category of doing, there are three specific categories we've been talking about. The first one uh, represents doing the foundations in terms of the Word of God, the plain teachings of Scripture. How many you know that, that there are a lot of things in Scripture that are plain as day? There's no confusion about them. They're not in the gray area in terms of your understanding or, or debate theologically. They're plain as day. And we should hold to those. If we're faith people, we're going to keep the plain teachings of the Word of God. Say it with me. The Word of God is first place and final authority in my life. Now, what does that mean if you're new to a church that uh, preaches and teaches the uncompromised Word of God? It means it's the first place you go to for counsel. Not the last place you go to for counsel. And then once you have heard what God said on a matter, it's settled. There's no poll. There's no what did they say. Go check out this guy's theology book. Go listen to that YouTube channel. No. What did God say on the plain foundational teachings of the Word of God? The second category we've talked about in terms of doing the things we say we believe and the things we have said, the things that we have heard, has to do with the directives of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Word of God applies to all of us, but all of us are going to be led down a path that may be more specific to us than, than say, somebody else's life when it comes to ministry in terms of mission, in terms of occupation, in terms of placement, in terms of geography. We don't have all those specific directives given to us when we got born again. We have to listen to what the Word of God says as a foundation, and then we have to listen to what God is saying to us. Many of you came into this community because you felt the Holy Spirit impressing you. I first came to this college years ago because I felt the Holy Spirit impressed me to leave South Carolina and come up here where the Lord was able to expose me to ministry and to discipleship that actually you know, changed my life and set my course. That was a directive of the Holy Spirit. But there is no Art chapter 5, verse 2. 
thou shalt go to Murray State University. It's, it's not there. The foundation is, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk ye in it. And if you lack wisdom, the Bible says, ask going to give it to you liberally. But there is no art. Go to Murray State University in 1983. And yes, I came back there that long ago. Amen. <laughs> You're no spring chicken yourself, bless God. <laughs> and that's the way it is for us. It's, it's Jonah, go to Nineveh. You know, it's Ananias, go to Straight Street and minister to, to Paul because I've got a plan for his life. That's the way it is. Today, there could be a director for you. And if we're going to be faith people, it's not just obeying the plain teachings of Scripture that are the foundations. It's learning to listen to and obey every urging of the Holy Ghost. Look at somebody with love and tell them, obey every urging of the Holy Ghost. Because I tell you, if it wasn't important, he wouldn't urge you to do it. Somewhere there's a need, somewhere there's a connecting point, someone is crying out to God, and you and I are that agent. That, that, think about this, the divine agents of God to be someone's solution, someone's answer to prayer, just because you picked up on that urging, and you listen to it. So say it with me, the foundations need to be obeyed. Say it with me, the directives need to be obeyed. And number three, the convictions need to be obeyed. So it's foundations, directives, and then it's convictions. And so let's talk a little bit about this. You know, when Isaiah had an encounter with the Lord, are you there in Isaiah 6 yet? Uh, I'll join you then, praise the Lord. Say it one more time, foundations, directives, and convictions. You know, in uh, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord uh, seated on a throne high, and exalted in the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with uh, six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts shook, and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with the smoke. How I many say the glory of God? So what is he doing in this encounter? He's encountering the presence of God. Say it with me, the presence of God. Do you know that you can encounter the presence of church, of institution, of organization, and have no response in terms of your heart whatsoever? But when you encounter the presence of God and something's not right, conviction should come. He's not encountering organization. He's not encountering denomination. He's not encountering some kind of event or activity or program. He's encountering the Most High God. And watch what happens. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have what? Send the king the Lord Almighty. And isn't it interesting that he immediately comes under conviction for the misuse of his what? And he just doesn't say, hey, that's me. He's saying, I live among a people that basically live and operate the same way. What do you see here? You see here that when someone is, is healthy spiritually, say that with me, healthy spiritually. Say it again, healthy. When you get into the presence of God, conviction is going to come if something's out of order. 
We've entered into a season in this nation in the modern Western church where people can go to church five years and never come under conviction. Thank you for your enthusiasm over this revelation. That's not the way it should be. You should not enter the prayer time and never have God convict you. You, should, you shouldn't be able to come to service after service after service after service after service and not have conviction. And don't fall in the trap of thinking because you're under conviction that somebody is necessarily targeting you or preaching at you or your wife or somebody gave some information that's on inside information. Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost has all the information on me, the inside information he needs because he knows everything. If you're not careful, you'll rationalize away that God's trying to do something good in your life. Timothy said that correction is not bad, it's actually good. But God help us if we can go to service after service after service, prayer time after prayer time after prayer time, go into the presence of the Most High God and never be convicted. Some of you are thinking, bless God, that's not me, I get convicted every time I walk in this place. <laughs> Some of you are thinking every time I hit my knees. You know what, it's not a bad thing to have a tender conscience before the Lord. And a day of hardness, that's a good thing. In fact, if everyone in this building today watching online understood that, they would envy you for having that tender heart after all these years. So I'm going to tell you, living this life for God is not easy, believe you. You make up your mind you're going to serve God, you're going to take hits. You're going to come under attack. You're going to come under assault. The devil's going to do everything he can to get your thoughts. But his big target is the condition of your heart. So you can live God 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, 30 years. You can live for God and your heart is still tender before the Lord. You are blessed. I said you are blessed. Because the best of them out there can end up getting so distraught, so wounded that the heart condition is terrible and it's no longer tender. And not only is it not responsive to people, it's no longer responsive to the promptings or even the urgings or even the convictions of the Holy Ghost. Look at somebody and say, I want a tender heart. Come on, say, I always want a tender heart before the Lord. Why am I saying this? I want you to understand that what God is doing with conviction is He is taking you from degree of glory to degree of glory, from one level to the next. He's actually, actually transforming your life. Aren't you glad for that? Have you found Luke yet? And just for the record, you don't have to cry when you're convicted. God is far more interested in you just obeying. When you're there, say, I am there. Luke 5. I say this to me, when I come into God's presence, there should be conviction from time to time. Luke 5, verse 1, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesareth, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So you see this? The living word was preaching the word. Put out into the water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinner. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. Not only when you come into the presence of God, should you from time to time come under conviction. When you are exposed to the Word of God, you should come under conviction from time to time. Now, every time you walk into this building or have a prayer time or read the Word of God, it doesn't mean you've got something that you need to repent of or something that you need to turn from. That's not true. But God help us if we can go to the Bible year after year and go to service month after month and year after year, and we're never convicted, which means something's not right in the focus of where God brings conviction. And write this down. The, the focus of conviction is the conscience. The focus of that conviction is the conscience of a man. The, the place where conviction is, is centered or focused is, is that conscience. So write this down. The conscience is the primary indicator of spiritual health. If you're never convicted... You have a problem and you don't even know it. If there's never anything that needs to be redirected in your life when you come into his presence or into his word, you have an issue. Because the primary indicator of a spiritual health is the condition of that conscience. And right now, the full force of Western church is trying to de-emphasize any conscience sensitivity of conscience to justify everything. In other words, if we can just take away the guilt, then everything will be fine. Just because somebody no longer feels the pang of conviction doesn't mean everything is fine. You see this? Now, I understand the world trying to look at us and say, you know, you're just a bunch of condemners and judges, blah, blah, blah. But listen, it's not about people judging people. It's about the Spirit of God convicting us in the conscious about matters of faith and life and conduct and thoughts and speech and desires. The last time I checked, and I haven't looked at my credential card in a long time, but I'm not called to make people feel better about their sin. And you know, a church like this, there should have been a better amen than that. Amen. Say it with me, the pastor's job, the pastor's job is not to help me not to feel, okay feel okay about my sin. The wages of sin is still death. So all over the country, unwittingly, there are people in ministry that are assisting people on their path of death. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. <laughs> uh-uh. 
If I read James correctly, there is greater judgment for those that preach and teach the Word of God. Does that make sense today? So just by, by way of a foundation for this, uh, this part of the message, when you come into His presence or come into His Word and something's not right, from time to time there ought to be conviction. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Look at your neighbor and say, if you can still feel convicted, you're in a good place. Talk a little bit more about this. Thank you, Father. Aren't you glad that years ago the Lord revealed himself to you? Amen. This world's nuts. And we shouldn't be running around trying to dumb down people's consciences. We're in the middle of a war and we have people trying to help people not feel convicted. Our job isn't to go around making people feel condemned either. John 16, 7 through 11, I'm going to read this to you from the ESV. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now notice he's the helper, not the herder, not the hinderer. He didn't come to hurt you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So you have to understand this, that, that a, a primary function of the Holy Spirit, not the only function of the Holy Spirit, is to bring conviction to our lives. Let me explain to you this way. Anybody ever done something really boneheaded since you've been a Christian? Let me see your hand if you've ever done something really boneheaded. You mean, by bone, I mean just not stupid in the world's eyes, but you cross a line in terms of the integrity of the Word of God. Can I see your hand if you ever did something boneheaded and you know, at least now, it was unscriptural? Okay? If you felt convicted about that, how many of you that raised your hand would say you did feel convicted about that sooner or later? I'm telling you that that is a blessing. It's wonderful when you get a revelation from the Scripture, from the Spirit of God, and you're like, praise God, I never saw that before, or, or He helps you with something. The past several weeks, all the Holy Spirit's been doing is helping me, it seems like, with practical stuff. I mean, I'll say, uh, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to do this. And He'll say, I do. I mean, whatever it is, natural, spiritual, the Holy Spirit knows. Look at somebody say, He knoweth. He knows. And I thank God for that. And I'm one of those people that get excited and fired up about the revelation of the Word of God. Whether I've read something five times or 50 times and I see something, I go, praise the Lord for that. I thank God for the teacher of the church. But a wise Christian also thanks God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their conscience. Why? It means you're alive spiritually. It means something's working in there. But when you have no longer conviction in your life and your conscience is broken and not functioning correctly, that is not a good place to be. Convict means to declare or prove guilty of an offense to impress with a sense of guilt. That's not our job. That's his job. Look at somebody and say, I am not, I am not the, Holy the Holy Spirit in your life. We got two poles right now in America. Everything goes versus the one who knows everything about everything. 
And they're experts on everything, judging everybody and this guy's. And I tell you, it's really disingenuous when I see somebody I respect in the Lord, you know, being used in a clip. And I know they doctored the clip because I was there when they preached it. What do you call it when you misrepresent what somebody preached? A lie. So I'll take the guy you don't like his doctrine over you, the liar, any day of the week. Mm -hmm. You see what's going on, those two poles. Our job is to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to his word and let the Father do all the judging. Your job is to love. Come on, say it. I've got a job. And it's to love people. You see, theological knowledge and excellent knowledge of the law does not necessarily translate into a sensitive conscience. In fact, the Pharisees prove that you can have advanced degrees in theology and be a theologian and yet have a heart that is completely hard and completely detached, you know, detached from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The very, the very Lord they saw in Scripture, amen, was the very one they were attacking. The Pharisees had knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures, traditions, festivals, eternal, uh, you know, external conformity, but Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs, nothing alive on the inside, their conscience is not alive, and working. Now, there were exceptions. Joseph of Arimathea, amen, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night, that's where they got the idea for Nick at night. That's a good Nick at night. But at least he came. Amen. Everybody say, thank God for Nick at night. What an example to us. Here's a guy full of theological knowledge and revelation, understanding, conformity, external religious piety, and yet he had a conscience. So I'm not going to say it's impossible, but a lot of people have a lot of theological truth and they have no conviction, which means they're not actually healthy because it is not how much theological knowledge you have in your head that determines your spiritual health. It is the sensitivity of your heart that does. Conscience is a focus of conviction. The health of the conscience is a primary spiritual health indicator. So what's the role of the conscience? <laughs> I, have, I have had so many ideas about which way to go with this message. Glory to God. <laughs> How many are praying out there? Praise the Lord. Say we I am praying and agreeing. Did you know that the audience affects the utterance of the speaker? How receptive and hungry and, and energized and, and there, you're not force-feeding, it's being, it's being drawn from you. And I'll say this to you, when you're under a ministry, you have a right to everything spiritually going on in that ministry. You have a right to the revelation. You also have a right to the revelation of the people that are hooked up to and who they honor in the Lord. All the way back to the Lord. Amen. So when, you, when you're in a service, you know, make a draw. You're going to be here, so make a draw. Look at somebody and tell them you're already here, so you might as well draw something. Amen. The conscience is, is like a transmitter that God put in every human heart that he can nudge and talk to. <laughs> every human being that ever was birthed came out with a God-built conscience on the inside. Every single one. I see the mercy of God in that. Um, 
Yes, when you get born again and you come alive spiritually, there's sensitivity that is increased and it opens up you know, corridors and avenues of communication and insight and revelation and illumination that the person is not born again. But I'm talking strictly something built in somebody in that realm so they can actually have an encounter with God if they be sensitive to it. Number two, it's a homing beacon to lead people back to their creator. Listen to what Romans 2 says. They, um, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. It tells you that we are without excuse. Those of us that say, but I haven't had a proper witness of Christ. All of us should be what? Led back to the creator based on the what? Existence of our conscience, which will tell you. Um, that conscience is the seat of the, the handprint of God, the moral authority of God, the example of God. Everything God created shouts of his perfection, of his beauty, of his majesty. Amen. You start to look in at some of these telescope pictures and you get to feeling really, really, really small. When you consider how small our earth is compared to Jupiter, Compared to other solar systems, compared to our galaxy, compared to this universe, and all of that is in your God. I said something the other day that oftentimes when, when students would go to medical school and, and they're not believers, they weren't necessarily trained against the things of God. By studying the human body and its systems and its you know, intricacies, they'll begin to believe God unless they have somebody who teaches them to hate God. The opposite can happen when somebody has a vendetta against God. But when you study the, the majesty of God's apex of his creation, the human body, it, it leads you towards him, not away from him. Are you here today? Say to me, it's a transmitter. It's a beacon. That doesn't mean that people listen to God, and it doesn't mean that they pay attention to what they're saying, what they're hearing. I should return to the one that made me. Amen. You know, I, uh, I had a couple pets growing up. <laughs> One was a cat named Patches. And this is the dumbest animal that God ever put on the face of this earth. <laughs> Black and white Patches, cross-eyed. And that was supposed to be a replacement for my cat that died, Tiger, which he was the smartest cat to ever exist. <laughs> And the biggest and toughest one on the block. And one day I walked up to our school a few blocks away and got into the classroom at 10 o'clock in the morning. The whole class runs to the window outside my, my classroom. And there's my cat sitting there just like this, meowing for me. Everybody say, Meow, 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 meow. What'd you learn at church today? Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> and uh, the whole class, I mean, the whole thing was disrupted because he was really going at it trying to get my attention. And the principal comes down, looks out the window. That's your cat? I said, yeah. <laughs> he goes, grab the cat, put me in the car with him, took me back down, you know, just a few blocks away, put the cat in the shed so he wouldn't follow me. But I've always been struck by that. How many understand that cats don't follow their owners? Dogs do. But this one 
walked all the way down the sidewalk after I was already in class and found the building, found the right wing, found the right classroom. My classroom. That's the way people are supposed to be with their creator. Because God's sitting out there, the heart's door going, meow. Amen. You and I found that out. We and I have had a great encounter with God. We've been forgiven. We've been blessed. Aren't you glad you're a saved person? Aren't you glad? Amen. That you have returned where you belong. But not everybody has. A third thing about your consciousness, an internal umpire calling right and wrong. It's the ability to evaluate your own thoughts and desires and words and actions to discern what is right and wrong and to distinguish between what is good and what is even best. Say it with me, an umpire. You know what an umpire does in baseball? I talk about what an umpire does with the Cardinals, but their season's over. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. So when your two candidates for MVP go one for 15, you're not going to advance. When the rest of the team can't hit the broads, don't give me this brave stuff, brother. Uh-uh. I will not be a brave convert, bless God. See? Uh-huh. He says more with one karate and one chop than y'all say, amen. Not going to happen. But the umpire calls what? Ball and strike. How I many you know God is an umpire? He's always accurate. That's not true of MLB humps. I mean, one time the same thing is low, next inning is high. It's in, it's out, it's up and it's down. But if you happen to have the Holy Spirit convict you and he says it's a ball, it's a ball. If he says it's a strike, it's a strike. If he says it is right, it's right. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong. And it doesn't make any difference. It's not time to consult with man at that point. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And what happens is he will give you that umpiring every single day of your life. And it's a good thing. Keep you out of the ditch. Keep you out of destruction. Keep you off the wrong path. Keep you out of the association of the wrong kind of people if you'll let him be the umpire in your life. Amen. We're dealing with a crisis of conscience in the world today. Convictions also being diminished in the church in the name of relevance. Masses are losing a tender conscience. And it's a silent destroyer and killer in the church. I have no idea how tender your particular heart is. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah, we even deceive ourselves. Our own hearts deceive us let alone somebody else pointing at you and saying, you don't have a tender heart or your heart is very tender. Only you and the Lord know exactly the condition of your heart today. Is that conscience really tender? You don't have to be a church member in Murray, Kentucky to deal with this. Israel's kings were famous for dealing with this issue and showing us in some cases how not to be. In 2 Chronicles 26, the king Uzziah, the Bible says of him, everything he put his hand to was blessed. God gave him great wisdom, great military insight. He prospered as a king because he sat at the tutelage of Zechariah. He was in God's presence and he was in God's word and he was responding to it. But the Bible says when he got older, he became prideful in his success. And there he is 
in the temple system and he's offering up incense, which is only right for the priests to do. And the Bible says the high priest, together with other courageous priests, challenged him. And you know what he did when conviction tried to come? He went into a rage. Watch this. Anger and rage are responses when the conscience is not working correctly. What he should have said was, fellas, you're right. I've sinned against God. Here's the censor. I'm going out and repenting and praying. But that's not what happened. And as he raised, the Bible says he became what? Leprous. Leprous. And this great king, one of the finest from the time he was a child, has this epitaph in his story where he loses everything because his conscience was not kept tender over the long haul of his life and his call. Look at somebody and say, over the long haul. Anybody can be tender for a day. Amen. Well, pastor, if you've been through what I've been through, you wouldn't be so tender. You're assuming I'm tender. (laughs) You can sit there and and go down that road all day long. That's not going to help you. The question is understanding that, boy, you can start out right with the prophet of God over your life, listening to everything he says, applying the teachings, seeking God in the presence of God, and then over time lose your sensitivity and lose everything. I just want the pastor to get up there and do some cheerleading for us. Big G, little low, go, go. Big G, little low, go, go. I'm telling you how to go. I'm telling you how to go from victory to victory, from faith to faith, from success to success. Amen. From peace to peace, to joy to joy. This is how you do it. Turn to somebody and tell them. Don't be like Uzziah. Keep your heart tender over the long haul. How do people get that way? Well, there's all kinds of things that can happen. You know, sometimes you have some success in life and you get to thinking that you're responsible for it. Or things go sideways in you and all you want to do is blame everybody. Both of those will take you down the same path. There was another king. He didn't want to be king. His name was Saul, so he was hiding out in the luggage. The prophet of God spied him, and he was tall of stature, and he was reluctant, but God had called him and anointed him. And God blessed the things that he did, gave him great success. And God gave him this command in dealing with his enemy, wipe them out. The Bible says that um, when Samuel finally shows up, the first thing Saul does is he, he presents himself with, I obey the instructions that you gave me. Well, if you wiped them out and took care of all these animals as well, how come I hear all these sheep sounds? Amen? Do you know that if you try to con yourself or con God, there's always going to be something showing up to contradict you. If you did what you were told to do, then how come all these animals are there? Well, you know, the soldiers, they want to keep some of the best. But I did obey you, he said. Then how come that king is here? You parading him like you're some other kind of ancient Near East king. You want to be just like them. I wanted you to be different. But I did obey you. Three times he rebuffed the opportunity to receive the conviction. 
And finally, when Samuel got to business with him, he said, you know what, to obey, I don't want you to tell me about the sacrifice of these wonderful animals that you were told to get rid of. To obey is sacrifice. And he was told that was the end for him. Only then did he say, I have sinned. Can I tell you something? The door is open for you to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit today. Listen to me carefully. Say it with me. The door is open. It may not always be. His days were numbered as a king from that point on. Aren't you glad it just doesn't happen to common folk? People are people are people. Amen. Say it with me. People are people. From the laborer in the field to those in highest office in the world, people are what? People. And they all need to have a tender conscience before the Lord. Another king that you and I are very familiar with, his example, his name is David. And David blessed him. Saul killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands, and he was a worshiper true, and he was a psalmist, and he took out the bear and the lion, he took out Goliath, he's got a storied and victorious career in his life. Then one day he's up on top of the palace roof and study where he should be, where should he be? He should be doing his responsibilities, and he spies this beautiful young lady who's bathing, he desires in his heart, even though this is a woman that belongs to some other man. His power is used and wielded to draw this woman to him. They have relations. She gets pregnant. He decides he has to cover over his sins, so he calls for her husband back from the field. He, he basically won't have relations with her. He sleeps out on the doorpost because he has more honor than the king at that point in time. In other words, he's operating with a tender heart, and the king is not. Sends him back out with orders. He doesn't know what the orders are, but the orders are is let Uriah go out there in the front of one of my military you know, commanders and generals and then withdraw from him, expose him, so he'll be taken out. Had one of his top generals killed to cover his own sin. Nathan, the prophet, comes up to him and tells him a story about a man who had everything, and this one man has one little ewe lamb, and this man with everything took it away from him. The Bible says that David burned in anger. Who is that man? What did Nathan say? You the man. If he, was your, your, if he was like Uzziah, he would have burned with rage and anger because that's what you do sometimes when you're convicted. Or in Saul's case, you could have denied it and tried to play the deception game, which is what you do when you're king and you don't want to deal with conviction, deception, and lies. But what did he do? He repented. There were consequences, but he repented. Later on, the Bible says he counted as fighting men, which went against the command of the Lord. And he was stricken in his heart as well. He was convicted. Everybody say he was convicted. If you don't know this, write this down. God called David a man after his own heart. You want to know why? Not because of his perfection. Not because he didn't have any indiscretion. Not because he never made bad decisions. Not because he never hurt anybody. He, had a, he was a man after God's own heart because he was a man that responded to conviction. How many of you with a raised hand would like to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Not your perfection. But a tender heart that responds to conviction. Come on, say it. Conviction. 
Say it, conviction. Say it, conviction. Come on. Boldly say it, conviction. Is good. To be able to hear what he is saying and respond correctly, you're blessed if you have a tender heart. Now, I, you know, I'm not playing the role of the prophet here. I'm in the role and I'm in the office of the pastor teacher today. You understand that? God sends me across that line and he does from time to time. I don't, I don't mind. And I'm not going to shut down what the Holy Ghost wants to do because it may make somebody uncomfortable. But I'm just functioning right now as pastor, teacher, coming alongside of you. And I know the past couple of years for many people in the body of Christ has been hell on earth, consequences of things that you've gone through and things that you've been exposed to and things out of your control. And this is a perfect recipe for that conscience to begin to lose its sensitivity. Hurts and wounds and things that you've gone through the devil really was after your conscience all the time. You know what today is? Today is a very good day for the Lord to restore the sensitivity of your heart. Regardless of what's happened in your life. That if you feel like you're, you're sensitive, how many know we could be even more sensitive to him? So we're obeying the clear foundations, right, of the word and the directives of the Holy Spirit, but also the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not bad, it's a positive thing when I'm out of line and he tells me that is not negative. That's the gift of God. Come on, say it. It's the gift of God to be able to hear directly from him when something's not right. So I want you to stand to your feet as the band returns. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.